This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on View. My name is Chris Fritz, and today on our panel, we have Divya Sasidaran. Hello. And our guest today is Eduardo San Martin Marote. Is Hello. that right? Nice. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a freelance developer, a consultant as well. I really like to speak at conferences and... Mainly, I, I am a co-team member uh, as, as you, Chris, uh, of VGS, and I really love um, contributing to open source, especially the Vue ecosystem, which I, I really enjoy working with. Cool, cool. And you're joining us today from what country now? You're, you're still in Paris? Still in Paris, in France. It's 9, uh, 9 p.m., sorry, in the, in the evening. Wonderful. Well, I will hope to not keep you up too late. <laughs> That's okay. It's Saturday tomorrow, so... So a lot, of people, a lot of people who don't recognize your name might know you online, you know, on Twitter and on GitHub as POSFA. Yeah. <laughs> so so what's what's the story behind that? Why are you called POSFA on GitHub and, and Twitter and everything? So uh, as a, pretty much anybody, everybody who started doing things on a computer when they were uh, kids, uh, they didn't use the actual names when they started playing video games or actually or coding things. Uh, so when I was a kid, I chose a Spanish expression that was used by, uh, by a Spanish uh, humorist. And that expression in Spanish is, pues va a ser que no. And uh, it, it literally means it's not going to happen, more or less. It's that kind of expression. And um, the person, the humorist, was saying, pues va a ser que no, with that contractor version. And so I was using at first that name, but it was a, a bit long, uh, longer than my, I mean, still shorter than my, than my real name. Uh, and somebody called me pues va on the net. Uh, and I think I was 13 at that age or 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I kept that name because I thought it was, it was short, it was, it was great. And I've been using that name since I, I, I was at 13. And because I started doing open source things, I mean, coding uh, video games and then open source in the web between 17 and 20 and now the present, mm-hmm. uh, well, I, I just kept that name. And also because my name is so long, <laughs> it's so much, much easier for me to have a short version that I can... I can relate to and I can present myself as. Yeah, if you want to be short, it's probably uh, not very easy to find like Eduardo at Eduardo as a username. Yeah, no, uh, there's a few <laughs> others out there. <laughs> no, it's, it's way too too easy to find, and because it's yeah. a Spanish name, you find other people. Right? So it's an a it's an abbreviation of an abbreviation, and then of an expression. Short and just a <laughs> and then P one day. Yeah, I wish I could, but um, I will never find a domain name with that. Ah, yeah. So, so you need just the right amount of shortness. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm still. Um, it's so at some point it go. It, it went. Um, it was like some kind of fashion where you, if you have a, a username, mm-hmm. you could try to make your full domain name to be uh, your full na- your your name your or your username by mm-hmm. using some extension that uh, was part of the name. The end. To be specific, in my case. Uh, <laughs> I was very frustrated because when I checked the, the extension, extension.va, it stands for Vatican. <laughs> so it's impossible <laughs> to register any domain name. <laughs> so I, I completely get back from that thing. I had to buy a .NET domain. <laughs> You're going to need to make some new friends, some new connections. So you'll yeah, get Vatican, that one. Yeah. Well, we can work on it. Maybe you can move to Rome. We should, we should. 
Okay. So talking about some view stuff, uh, one of the first things that I wanted to talk about is uh, distributing component and component libraries. So you have like you have a lot of component libraries that that you've made. Uh, one of the most famous ones, I think, is ViewMDL. Oh, yeah, that's actually how I started with Vue. So uh, I really love, because of the way you build components with Vue is so so fun. Uh, I really love building components that I can use in different scenarios. And the more I build them, the more I, I dig into functionalities, and the more I, I get to know very abstract components I can build, and very simple ones that do not cover a lot of things. So the way I build components... Or taking a step back, like what is a component library? Like what does that mean? What's a component library? So a component yeah. library is um, a set of one or more components and sometimes directives uh, that bring some functionality to your <laughs> to your application. Now that functionality can be either can either be um, better, like easier refactoring, not refactoring is that not a word, but architecture, easier architecture, more expressive syntax. So more, more, most of the time that's just being declarative instead of uh, being imperative. So it fits more the view mindset. And sometimes if the functionality is easy enough, it can be a directive that only plays around with the element, the dumb element bit. Okay. So it's sort of like, like if, if people have used jQuery, is it kind of like jQuery plugins where you have this like underlying library and then you have something that builds on top of it that does something else. So for like a component, for example, you basically have like a, like a custom element that you don't have to maintain that you, can, yeah. that you can use. Or in a directive, you have a custom attribute that like has some special behavior associated with it. Yeah, that's definitely the, the kind of, of components I will build. Um, so for instance, uh, ViewMDL, which I, I no longer maintain because MDL is anyway, um, is it okay? Yeah, what does is, what is MDL stand for? Oh yeah, uh, MDL. MDL is Material Design Lite. So it was a project um, that Google started building. I don't know the person, I think it was Adios Mani who started building it or one of the persons. And it was just a, an, a framework agnostic way of building uh, material design <clears throat> web applications. Uh, but at some point um, they started a different project that was um, like the new version, but it was completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of going from going from Angular one to Angular two, but even better. I mean, even better in the sense of more breaking changes and for the for the good. So it was. It's called Material. Okay, I always mess up because they they use a different acronym in their components that the name of the library. So it's it's mis, uh, misleading. Uh, it's Material Design Material Web Components or Material Design Components. Uh, I think it's Material Web Components, but they also they always use. MDC. And I think they do that because they also have other abstractions for iOS and Android, but I'm not sure about that. Okay. And, and the idea is like libraries like that have like buttons and <laughs> like modals and yeah. checkboxes and things like that that are all styled in a cohesive way? Yes, yes. The thing is, um, at some point, uh, I stopped um, developing these, uh, these tools because they do uh, demand a lot of a, a, a huge uh, amount of time from your from your part as a developer as a, as a maintainer uh, yeah. to contribute the elements the components sorry um, to make sure everything everything is architecturally um, right that you use your code so you have a smaller and light lighter library and that you keep up to date with the components they they bring and it, it doesn't look like it takes a lot of time but if you add the test uh, because I always test test my components if you add the test. Uh, the visual regression tools that you may want to add, if you want to add some demos, the documentation, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's just too much. And 
at the end, I was seeing projects like Beautify uh, that do a very good job on, on keeping the, the real feeling of a material application, which mm-hmm. I, think, I think is one of the main points of using material design components. So eventually, uh, I just, I'm not longer doing anything in UMDC, to be honest. Uh, I have, it's a very, very hard project for me to maintain. I, I would rather spend time uh, doing view router or even anything else view yeah. that is more useful to the community. So, so what other kind of community projects have you been working on lately, you know, for component libraries or plugins or? So recently, uh, I think it's yesterday or two days ago. Two days ago, probably. Oh, this is uh, super hot. Super hot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I released a small library. It's around 300 bytes uh, gzipped. Um, it's and, and it doesn't do anything, but it's very small. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, do, it does something. It does one thing, uh, which uh-huh. is the, the point, right? Uh, it's yeah. called ViewCores Props. Uh, and the idea is to more or less bring back the V1 functionality in userland, uh, which we'll call Cores. Now, Cores, <clears throat> for those who doesn't know, is a function that you apply to a prop and then basically transform the prop to whatever you want. So for example, you can make sure that the value is always a number even if you get a string, for example, or you can always get the lowercase version or the uppercase version. Um, so because in view, uh, we remove that function because computer properties are basically that. <laughs> but still out of people, I mean, by a lot, I mean, at least three person three people open issues about it and I had to close them saying, oh, this was removed, duplicate off, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, maybe there is actually a, a need uh, for people to have these, um, this differentiation and I couldn't find the package for it. And I knew it, it's buildable in, in New Zealand and it's also something that I always say, it's something that you can build in New Zealand. So I built this mixing that you can install globally actually or locally if you want, that will take away the cores function inside of a prop definition and create a computer property that use all these functions to have an object with all the coerced values, coerced values. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, so you have the original value in the prop and you have an object mm-hmm. uh, dollar coerced uh, that contains every single prop you want yeah. to coerce. <laughs> and other than that, uh, the thing before that I did something called you promised, which is a, a library that allows you to declarate a vice. I mean, if, that's not a word, but you can make it up. Uh, yeah, 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 we will make words of <laughs> promises. So you can basically uh, pass a promise to a component and also give to a component what it should render if the promise is ever resolved, uh, what it should render while it is waiting, and what it should render if it fails. So it makes everything declarative instead of having to uh, call the promise in your code and do all the, the checks imperatively, create uh, local variables in your component to handle the state. Is there an error? Is it spending? It is loading? Uh, and then do the VF, VIF, VL safe, and VLs on your code. Mm, so what's the situation where you would use that? So every time you want to uh, retrieve some information in an application, uh, contact. Uh, I, I also, uh, almost always use it for for API calls. Um, so I I fetch some information. So what I do is I still in the data I probably call the the, the promise, mm-hmm. and I can pass it to the. Um, to a property in the data, and then I just pass that property into the promise uh, component. And then inside of the component, I would rather use uh, some kind of um, placeholder. So for example, the SVG placeholder that is very popular right now that everybody's using, even YouTube is now using it. I don't know if you notice it, but um, <laughs> it's like the whole thing right now, you have to do it. So I put, I put that in the pending phase. Then uh, if, everything hap- if everything loads correctly, I just pass the information down to a list component. If it's a list of 
of information, if it's just a con um, one piece of information, like a contact, a movie, or something, I will pass it to a component so I can display that. Uh, it could be the page, actually, if you want. Uh, you can really play around the concept as well, because you can build uh, higher-order components that you promise to return views that you can pass to a router, but this gets quite complicated. <laughs> mm. Okay, so like if someone is fetching like a list of users, you can say like what to show while they're while it's still fetching the users, and then how to display the users, and then if it can't fetch the users for some reason, it shows a little message saying, "Sorry, you have no friends," or "Sorry, there's a problem <laughs> with our API." Yeah, that exactly that. Was the specific uh, library like for View Promise, for example, was it something that? you found like you were working on and you wished that there was a more declarative way of doing promises because i think currently uh anyone who's writing a view application you would just write your promise like in your method itself or like in your computer or whichever the lifecycle hook is um so like what was the the, the problem like why did you think or like why did you feel like this was needed personally for you so every time I, I build an application and I have an API, which is 80% yeah. of the time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not 80, but 99% of the time, mm -hmm. um, even if I have, if I have views, because it also works with views, you put the, the yeah. fetch in the action and you return the promise. And right. it's the same thing. You just pass the action to the, to the promise. Mm -hmm. I mean, the result of the action mm -hmm. to the promise. Well, I, I always have this loading variable locally uh, that you yeah. set to true when you start, then you set to false and you have a watcher yeah. on the route, etc. Yeah. So you have to do all these mechanisms. Like you have to watch as well because you have, if you are on a page and watching the, the route or the query if I want to uh, rearrange the new uh, calls for the API. But instead, uh, what I can do is just set. So just call the, uh, the action and put that into the variable and everything will be taken, be taken mm -hmm. care of by the component. So I think it's a pattern that um, I always use in any application. And I always find myself repeating the behaviors. So I found mm -hmm. that was also um, interesting. And it was also because at that time, I was playing a bit um, by passing information to scope, scope slots, um, mm -hmm. writing pure JavaScript, uh, because actually a lot of my components are pure JavaScript. They, there is no view. Uh, I mean, if I really, really love the view, a uh, single file component syntax, but there is no so, need so, for it. So when you say there's no, you mean there's no template, right? There is no template. There is only render functions. I don't it's need just a render function because you're that you're that hardcore. <laughs> hardcore, exactly. I'm a real one. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I, I I'm curious why you decided to do that. Oh, actually, um, it makes things so much easier in um, a lot of terms. Uh, sometimes it's not even possible to use the template, and most of the time that's the reason. To be honest, um, mm -hmm. you cannot do it with a template. You have to use a render function. But it also uh, removes me the hassle of adding. Um, the view loader to test, I mean, to the full, to the project, right? I don't need to use view loader so I can remove that from the dependencies. Uh, so testing is also easier because I don't have to configure, I use jest usually, so I don't have to configure view jest. Uh, and then I don't have to configure anything for the linter as well or, or anything else. So are you using styles with those components or? No, mo most of them are just pure logic. Those okay. are my preferred, my preferred kind of components. <laughs> got it, got it. I actually like that way of development because it gives the user of your plugin or your component a lot more flexibility because they can use the they can hook into the specific mm -hmm. logic of your component and then decide for themselves how they want to style it. Yeah, it's really nice for for library code. Yeah. Yeah, and actually when I when I build my components, I'm not always only thinking about applications, but sometimes uh, the components can also be used to build other libraries of components. Mm -hmm. And I 
most of my libraries like view tweezing, view motion, which are libraries for uh, JavaScript animations, are also template-less um, components. They use render functions in JavaScript. So they don't need to be compiled. They don't need to be compiled either. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what are, the, what are some other advantages of using like templates versus render functions? Are there times when you'll use a template instead? When and, I use that. And why? <laughs> why? So what's the, yeah, what's the difference for you? When I'm building, so in applications, I always use templates. <laughs> mm. Okay, so in, in applications, you always use templates, and in library code, you like to only Depend use on or component. almost only use render functions. Yeah. If it, Why is that? What's the difference between libraries and apps? Well, the, when, when you build a library, you are, you are creating a, an API that another developer can use. Uh, so they don't need to know about the code inside. But when you're building an application, you're not only building an application for, um, for the users that are going to use the application. You also build an application that other developers have to maintain. So you have to know the code. And templates are definitely more expressive than uh, render functions. It would be a pain to write all your applications in render functions. So some, if, even if the code is very easy to write with a render function, I will still use uh, GSX probably in an application because it's more expressive. It, it reads better. It looks more like a template. Yeah, a little uh, bit more declarative. Than yeah. a render function. So in an application, more developers will understand it. While if I write a render function, uh, newcomers will definitely not get what, what is happening there. Uh, so it would be a bad point for the project maintainability. Yeah. Yeah, that is something that I do like about templates is that they are fully declarative and there's usually only like one right way to write a template. Mm. Whereas with render functions, mm -hmm. sometimes things can feel a little bit awkward <laughs> and uh, there's more like potential bike shedding that you could do. Oh, but yeah, it, also, so much. <laughs> it also does give you, um, you know, more power. Freedom. Yes. <laughs> and power. Where yeah, you need the full programmatic power of JavaScript. To use, to use JSX or not to use JSX in your render function. <laughs> Yeah. As well. I, I use both. I embrace both of them. Yes. I, I use more non-GSX. I write more non-GSX vendor functions than GSX vendor functions. Ah, okay. So, so do you still write render functions in your application code or is it all templates? I almost never write render functions applications. Okay. It may happen if I want to write something very specific to the application that can save a lot of time during the development. So for example, uh, some very kind of specific, very specific uh, high order component uh, or mixing. Um, well, not a mixing, obviously, because you don't have a render function in it. Um, but something that will be used across many, many components in an application and are, that are business related, so are specific to that application. But I, I think about cases, but I've never had the chance to implement it. Yeah, well, what about you, Divya? Do you use mostly templates or mostly... Uh, render functions? Do you use JSX? What, what's... Um, I actually echo, I echo Eduardo because in my application code, a lot of my stuff is templates and I'll use like deliberately use scope squats if I want to use like dynamic, if I want my components to be dynamic because mm -hmm. for, this, for the exact same reasons because if you're onboarding someone or if you want another developer to review your code, uh, a render function, like there's, there's like 20 ways of doing it versus like with templates is very declarative. Um, and I think in general, when I work on application code, um, I like to think in terms of what, like the, what I'm trying to build visually and then adding the logic. Like I like the separation of concerns and there are certain points where I find render functions useful, but it's usually like I'll abstract that into a specific component in that, in that application. So I'm like, oh, I want to create 
a Mapbox map on my thing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to like add a folder in the application that's specifically Mapbox that has render functions. But then in the app- in the main application, I'll just include that as a component. So it's still declarative um, with like some of the, the render function abstracted away, kind of tucked away in a corner. We like don't look here, just look mm-hmm. here. <laughs> because it's it's like it's it's a bit complex i think um mm. and i and i believe that when you're building Vue.js applications there are a lot of like using templates gives you a lot of flexibility and so yeah i, I i'm hard pressed to find a reason to use render functions like specifically when you're building yeah. some you know applications versus so, libraries or plugins so when a situation is simple enough for templates which is like exactly. 99% of all situations yeah. Yeah. You prefer to use templates, but in the cases where the needs are a little bit more complex, you're willing to go a little bit more complex with a render function. Yeah, definitely. So that's exactly the similar use cases, Eduardo. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And I think in your case, you probably get, um, like it helps to have a React background uh, that most Vue developers don't have um, because you are used to creating more complex and abstract components that you can... Um, mm-hmm. you, where you can abstract the behavior and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make things very declarative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely helps because you do. It's it's when you use render functions, you do end up writing it more React like, <laughs> <laughs> which is um to to when I show my code to React developers, they're like, oh, this is oh, awesome. This is like so cool. I would use yeah, yeah, I would use Vue if this was the way. I actually recently found like I was talking to Chris about it this week about Vue class components, which is like allowing you to do classes in Vue with TypeScript. And the code looks exactly like you would write React, like a React component, so same. And so actually that, I think, um, what was his name? The Yeah, yeah. He he posted like the code snippet and like got so many likes from people because he's like, is this Vue or is this React? (laughs) (laughs) So that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, a, a a lot of concepts transfer very well. Yeah. There really is a lot in common. Completely. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like to still maintain that separation of concerns because I think that's the reason that people reach for Vue in the first place um, because you can think about things separately rather than like all together, which is how you would do in React because you have JavaScript and your templates and your JavaScript. And so when I, when I write my code mostly in order to like make Vue more accessible to people, it's I mostly use templates. Oh, I, I think of it a little bit differently from separation of concerns. Like something that I, I like about you know having a, a template, which is you know really just HTML with some added bits on top of it. Like yeah. it's like super HTML. <laughs> you know there aren't there aren't exceptions where like oh yeah you can do this in HTML, but you can't do this in a template. There's nothing like that. Yeah, completely. Uh, and with the, the script part, you know, the JavaScript, it is just JavaScript. And with the CSS, like I can use like CSS or CSS preprocessors. Like I don't have to do something special with like CSS and JS in order to get this working like with my component. Uh, in order to get it tied with my component, in order to get things like, you know, dead code elimination for my CSS. Mm-hmm. And so like there are just fewer abstractions. Like that's the benefit for me, I think. Like, I can just use HTML. I can yeah. just use JavaScript. I can just use CSS rather than abstractions on top of HTML and abstractions on top of CSS that then sometimes don't work. It's like, oh yeah, you can do this as long as you don't want to like hover. <laughs> no, like the, uh, the options are getting better and better, but 
it is nice to not have to learn something new to write the same CSS that you hope that you've been writing and have it be scoped and everything. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's um, like what you said, you can, you you can start very simple and then add complexity to it. So you could pretty much write HTML. And then if you want edit logic, there are view offers you directives and you can use those. And then if you want additional complexity or additional logic, you could create your own custom directives. So if you wanted to go one step further, you could create your own plugin or library, which you can include in your code and you can just keep going like deeper and deeper but the nice thing is that the entry point or the barrier to entry is low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people appreciate. Yeah, so something that we, we talked about a little bit when we were talking about uh, the view promised library. Mm-hmm. So something that you mentioned is you, you aren't including any like CSS in that component. So what if, what if a user wanted to style that component? So the thing is, um, that component doesn't render anything um, by itself. It doesn't render anything. <laughs> it renders things passed by the user. So the user can still style anything uh, the same way they will actually style anything else. How, do, uh, how does it not render anything? <laughs> because it doesn't um, create any new um, virtual DOM, I would say. It, it uses what it gets uh, in the slots, and it just renders that. And you can, this is something that you can only do in the inverter functions, for example. Okay. So it, so actually asking the question, like, how would you style it? Like you just style it in the template that is using it because like all of the like custom, all of, all of the HTML that will actually render is it's already there. Is already there. Yeah. It's there in nothing in the, yeah. exactly. There's nothing inside, inside promised. Whoa. So like, what do you have a special name for these kinds of components? No, and I think... Um, what do you mean, no? Chris! I set you up. The answer is yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's repeat that. Let's repeat that. <laughs> Let's repeat that one. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. We're not cutting that out. That's in. That's staying in. Okay. Now I forgot the name of this guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll help you out here. Or Divya. I can see Divya, like, screaming to herself. She can help yeah. you out. Renderless components. Yeah, that's how they name yeah. it in, in, in React, right? Um, yeah. Actually, I don't know if React calls it renderless components because I I actually mentioned that to Ma- Michael Jackson in a meetup, and he was to like, "Michael no Jackson, idea. there's a, a he's a there's a, the he's React a, guy, he's not, a not, React that guy not that Michael Jackson, okay, different Michael Jackson, a, a React developer." Uh, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing renderless components here," and then he was like, "What's a renderless component?" <laughs> so I I don't know if it's a React thing, honestly. I, I think they're generally called abstract components in React. Um, yeah. or maybe render null component. I don't know. It's because it's just the idea of like returning yeah. null in your render function, essentially. Yeah. Or, or I mean, I think like those components don't necessarily have to render null. Like in, in the case of you promised, you're rendering stuff from scope slot, right? Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know how it works in React, but in view, if you want to actually uh, use uh, whatever is inside of the components. For example, if you are creating a 3D scene mm-hmm. and you want to have a scene component, and instead of that scene component, you want to have a camera component that controls the camera, and then maybe you want uh, maybe a box and a and a sphere, or those are two other components that are inside of the scene. Um, you still need uh, to render yeah. the children. Like you have to yeah. in, the, in the JavaScript code, you have to return um, and then call. Uh, H with something so you can create a div or a span doesn't really matter 
because you're not going to put anything actually, and then pass on the children's or the, the slot default or whatever. Because otherwise, Vue is not going to render the components and isn't going to call the render functions, which are probably going to do to add things to the scene. And it's not about the render function itself because it could be in the created, uh, but that's an important thing. Is that the component is not going to be uh, to go through the life cycle. It's going to be created at all. Yeah, I think uh, in React, it's just uh, children are accessible as props. And so in the render, you you pretty much just do this dot props yeah. and children in curly braces, and then it returns mm. the children. And that doesn't work in view because we cannot still return exactly. uh, multiple elements, except for, for functional components. But yeah, yes, can, yeah functional components with render functions, you can do that. Yeah, But you cannot use all the, the lifecycle hooks I created before destroy that you will use with uh, we, scene and all these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. That's I true. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need, we need a concept of fragments in view. Well, not necessarily fun. fragments, but to be able to return multiple root nodes. That yeah. is a fragment. Yeah, yeah, no, but we yeah, could do that yeah, without yeah. having a concept of fragments. Like, you, it just <laughs> yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know about anything extra. True, that's true. Yeah, we, we like not naming things, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or... Yeah, I mean, I, I think whenever possible, it's nice to like no, not I, have to it, have a name for something. Yeah. <laughs> it was just return it, an array of things. Yeah. No, it wasn't a yeah. joke. Uh, I mean, yeah. even when, when we do the template compilation, uh, it was just template compilation. Uh, and then yeah. I remember it was it was funny to me because when I, I saw Angular call it, we have ahead of time. And I was like, what, a, what the hell? That, <laughs> that sounds sexy, right? Um, it's, it's just template compilation, right? <laughs> it's yeah. nothing new. And I, oh, okay, <laughs> well, that is less sexy. But yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe it impressed some people, um, but maybe it's also, it also afraid. I'm not sure if I think it impressed more people than it, it affects. But I still, uh, if something doesn't need an, doesn't need a name, doesn't give it a name. To me, that's also a syndrome of of the engineer, and it it also goes with over engineering things, it's giving well, a name to things we don't need. I think it is really hard though. Like so, sometimes someone else has given something a name, like it already has a name, but it's. Yeah. It's difficult to like know like what everybody else is thinking yeah. and like what else has already been invented, and so yeah, sometimes we we come up with names that you know really are like another concept that people already know, but like you didn't know that concept or you, oh. you know, it's not exactly like that concept, so you, you know you you think of it a little bit differently in your head, and so you give it a different name. But I mean that is something that's really hard in API design, and also when you're like marketing things, when you're talking about things, and you want to get people hyped about a new feature, like. Completely. Yeah, it can be it can be difficult to know how to talk about it. So I, I can feel for that, and I think it's a problem that like we all suffer from. Yeah, but I think in those cases, it means that it be, it needs a name. If you talk too much about something, then it needs yeah. a name. Is ahead of time something you're going to talk about uh, a lot? Eh, I don't think so. It's something yeah. you name. Say, hey, we have ahead of time completion. It brings you more speed because you you compile templates ahead of the runtime. I mean, during the build bundling phase. Uh, it's yeah, something you, you explain once and then you, you remember, right? That's an interesting role, yeah. Okay, so uh, when other cases, like would you want to use, you know, abstract or renderless components, you know, components that don't render anything themselves or maybe don't render anything at all? Other scenarios? Because the, the first part was um, a lag. <laughs> I couldn't hear it. Oh, no, no problem. Yeah, so what are some other cases when okay. you might want to use an abstract or renderless component? Some... Oh. Have, you, have you have you built other abstract or renderless components? <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so apart from <laughs> view motion, view tweezing, which are for uh, GS animations, 
So it only handles the GS part of things. You have to be creative and do the animations yourself. Uh, I also created with uh, Damien, so Shantao on GitHub, another co member. Mm -hmm. uh, we created um, View Global Events. So it's a company that doesn't render anything. and It only benefits from the, um, the syntax uh, that you have for events in View. Mm -hmm. So you basically attach any event to the uh, to that component that you can put anywhere and multiple times in your application, and the component will just uh, attach the event to document. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So it allows you to ha handle shortcuts, um, uh, keyboard shortcuts in your application. And other so scenarios, if you, have like a, if you have like a tabbed interface and you want to use like control tab or command tab or something like that to switch between tabs, like you'd set up a shortcut like that so that whenever they press it, it's not attached to a specific element, but whenever they press that, like it'll switch between those. Yeah. When that and component is rendered. Exactly. Yes. So it also, of course, it also uh, removes the listeners when the components appear. So you can put it on views and then you can use. Um, Shortcuts to use and makes everything declarative. It's always it's always the same. It's always about being declarative. And but the, the really exceptional part of that component um, is that you use the same syntax you use on elements, and that's what it makes it very um, very cool to use. Um, so what's not declarative about like like window dot add event listener or something like that, yeah, and then you exactly. know window dot remove event listener exactly, and then setting up uh, you know a method for that. Like what's what's not declarative about it? Um, the fact that you have to uh, care about that? the creation and the destruction of the things is what makes it non-declarative. And that's mm -hmm. the, the full power of declarative. Um, so it makes more sense when you talk about uh, non-HTML interfaces. Uh, so when you so, use components to render all the things in HTML, like a video game or a, a more simply a 3D scene. If you have... Um, so if you render your 3D scene with a HTML-like structure by using components... And as we said before, we have the scene, we have the camera, and uh, we have some objects. You could, for example, have an array of, of cubes, or, well, this is a very simple example, uh, but it could be the enemies. You have an array of enemies. You could have uh, just a map. It could be an object with a position or an array of, of blocks where you position uh, the cubes where the character, the player can go on. And so these and are you, like enemy components? Yes, yes. But the thing is, you still have this data, this pure data that represents your application. Mm -hmm. And you loop through it like you were really doing an H in a normal HTML page. Mm -hmm. And you are doing it with components that are enemies, the player, the cubes, and blocks. And you, you use past the props like the position, the rotation um, of those elements. And if you pop something from the array, 
then it's not going to render the component. It's going to remove it from the HTML. And because you set up inside of the component the hooks to remove that element from the scene, everything is going to work uh, seamlessly for the developer who is creating the 3D scene. He doesn't have to care about uh, tearing down any element in the scene, uh, creating anything in a scene, attaching things together. So for example, in 3D, we have this concept called mesh uh, textures. And I think there are some others uh, having a long time to study some 3D. Mm -hmm. But basically, you have to combine some of them uh, together. So it's also possible to reuse the same mesh in some scenarios, uh, the same texture as well. But if you nest them, you're naturally saying, it's just an example, but you're naturally saying these uh, mesh should use this texture, for example. And okay. the same applies to maps. And, and then the texture also, would that be a custom like component? Yeah, of course. And it will handle the loading, for example, async loading if you want. So you just um, say like, this is a texture and then you pass it some like attributes, you know, via props. Yeah. Uh, so like it, you say, you know, texture, uh, color blue or something like that, or, you know. Yeah, it could have the opacity, for example. Know, gradient uh, and stuff like that. So you're basically like inventing your own elements that like define how these things work. Yeah. And then inside of the component, is that like, how does that work inside of it? Instead of the component, you have to handle the, the created event and the before destroy event. So in the created event, you're going to create any classes. You are going to instantiate all the classes that you need. Usually only one, uh, but sometimes maybe more. Um, so for example, a texture will create the texture, uh, will load the, the URL and will load that texture in the GPU. Mm -hmm. um, depending on how you do it, of course. If you do it with 3GS, it will be easier. If you do it with plain um, open and WebGL, that will be harder. And then if the component can contain anything, you have to return when you render the, in the render function, you have to return the children. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you have, you can return no, it will work. Okay, and so in the before you story, make sure to remove all the resources you use. Otherwise you get more elics. So inside of those components, you, you still have that imperative code that takes care of changing state over time, but you have a declarative abstraction over it so that you can reuse that imperative code instead of having to like find some imperative way to fit it all together. Yeah, because in any ways, you would have been reading the infrared code if you didn't have the component. So it's not as if you were writing more code than you will do initially, right? You, you still have to write that once. Yeah. And now you're only writing once. But it I gives mean, you a way to organize it. Yeah, and to reuse as well. Yeah. And I think uh, Divya has also a little bit of experience with renderless components and you have a, a different use case that you found really useful with Mapbox GL, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a similar idea because it pretty much uses WebGL and renders to Canvas for performance reasons. And so uh, you pretty much like create declarative. You ultimately are writing to a single DOM node, so there isn't any HTML associated, but you create components as a way of thinking about the canvas layers in pieces. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to like reason about. So because a map usually has multiple layers, you might have, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like a point layer uh, that shows you a specific point on a map. And then in addition to that, you might have a pop-up element. So it's similar to the animation pieces where there's like the scene and the camera and all of those pieces. Yeah. And so you can create components that essentially render are renderless but they run functions on a specific uh, instance. Uh, in this case, a map instance. So they like manually manipulate the DOM and like created before destroy and also watchers. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same idea. Um, mm -hmm. 
but they're using yeah. views reactivity system to like make the yeah. state changes simple yeah. to organize yeah. it. Exactly. So you're using uh, Mapbox to handle the DOM the DOM manipulation specifically, and then you're using View for to handle the state management and reactivity. So there's like that, and I think that's uh, Sarah in her talk mentioned this a little bit at ViewConf, where uh, she used I think she used 3JS or D3 or something for specific D3. things D3. Um, but she was mentioning the same thing where uh, Vue does a really good job of state management and then D3 has its own, and even 3JS has its own way of manipulating the DOM. And so you separate yeah. that that way. So especially if you want to integrate uh, like a GL-based library with Vue, that's probably the best way to go about it. Okay, so like for, for WebGL and Canvas, it sounds like anytime you want to work with those technologies, that's when this pattern is really useful. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. And then would you also use it with like SVG or something like that? Or um, is it like think, anything that's not HTML? I think SVG is interesting. So I, I have not worked on a view specific thing with SVG, but I have worked on a React like <laughs> plugin for SVG. And uh, in that case, because SVG is actually rendering to the DOM, like there's specific nodes associated. Mm -hmm. So there's like a line or a G or whatever. Okay. Uh, it's not necessarily Canvas uh, in SVG's case. Um, and so like I worked on D3Geo, which was D3's uh, geo library, which is pretty much just instead of, so Mapbox renders everything to a single Canvas element. Mm -hmm. And uh, D3Geo creates svgs with different like tiles essentially okay. um and so there are elements associated with each component and so it's not okay. in that use case it's not necessarily renderless because you are rendering things uh it's a bit more complicated in that case because so because orchestrate everything so because svg is using elements you can actually like interact with it the same way that you'd interact with html elements pretty much yeah you would okay uh, so, so you wouldn't need this pattern for svg then not necessarily. Yeah, you wouldn't. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, I've not used this pattern mostly for SVG at all because of that. Okay. So uh, moving on then from abstract to renderless components, or actually, no, one more question about that. Like, if people want to learn more about this, like if they're if they're thinking like, wow, this sounds interesting. Like, how do I wrap actually wrap my head around it? Like, this is an audio format, so like they can't we can't stream code into their ears, or yeah. we could we could slowly describe it, but it'd probably be really boring. And I, yeah. if they're if they're like me, they probably won't be able to keep it in their heads. So are there any resources where they could learn more about that kind of pattern? So I'm I'm gonna be shameless and plug my talk, but I gave a talk I gave a talk about that. Like it's a, a part of it is about renderless components um, in my ViewConf talk, and there's a GitHub repo with slides and code samples for anyone who is interested in looking at that. Um, also... Yeah, that talk is uh, called a React Point of View, right? Yes, it's called a React Point of View because I was a React developer for a long time. Hashtag confession time. But... Uh, <laughs> it's okay, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing, I think um, another another really good resource that I found was um, Adam Wathan wrote an article about renderless components, which I think is really good. Um, and well explained if you have not used renderless components or if you're unfamiliar with the concept because he goes into detail. I think he actually implements a specific component that is renderless. So it's a nice way of seeing it implemented because most people need to see the code to see like to have a, an understanding of the concept. So I think that's a really good one. 
Yeah, Ed, did, did, I think you helped him with that a little bit, didn't you? I helped. Um, did I? <laughs> I thought you did. I thought you gave some uh, some feedback and stuff like that. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I gave. I don't know. Um, it was it was fun uh, because so Adam Adam um, dived into the the scopes, loads, components. To, I mean, the topic to create more abstract components. Mm-hmm. And the day um, he talked about that uh, for a some kind of fetch component that it was going to fetch a URL uh, was just the day after I released uh, the first version of you promise. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really funny because I was also digging that topic at the time. I'm not sure if I helped him with that, uh, but to add on top of what, um, um, what you guys say, said, so her talk was very good. I really recommend it. I don't know if it's online yet. Uh, maybe it's not. I don't think it, I think they're releasing it in batches. In batches. So I think they finished day one, but day two is not released yet. Yeah, so they can follow you on Twitter if they want to, <laughs> to get a <laughs> news for it. Um, uh, the, the, the article was indeed very good. And I would recommend to also check the, the documentation for render functions. Now I know it's not, the, it's not a, practi- a very practical documentation, but... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's not practical? <laughs> We'll talk about it's, this later. We talk about this later. You want it? No, we can improve it. If... I know, I know, and I, I think I, I can help with that. Okay. But yeah, please do. It's it contains very important information, and that information is the API. Uh, people get confused very easy, easily. Sorry about um, what are the properties uh, that I can pass to the second argument of the create element function, and how I can play with that. Mm. And this is normal because templates are so easy that and everything is automatic so when they get to the render functions they have to do a lot of things manually <laughs> and if you don't know the structure of the second attribute what you call the data and um, what does every key mean and there are many many properties that you have to see it set um it, it gets confusing um, well, i mean you don't have to set them all i mean of course of course yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah for example yeah. Um, the slots attribute the key attribute mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and JSX helps abstract some of that, but if you're not yeah. familiar with JSX or you if don't you're want pure it, one, <laughs> yeah, you know, or if you, yeah, if you really want like full full control in like pure JavaScript, okay. then yeah, you'd have to write that yourself. I have to say though, since the component, I think the component docs were improved, uh, or there was an upgrade during ViewCon, and so the part yeah, of our we, random function released it the day. The, the first day of ViewConf when we did the workshops. Yes. So, so I actually think that that, so I looked at the docs for render and it improved a lot since then because oh, I didn't actually, I didn't actually improve it. I mean, I, oh, that well. improving the render, uh, the render function documentation wasn't part of that big push, but we have oh, okay. like made improvements well, to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, but. yeah, because I, I remember when I was uh, working on renderless components, which was like, I don't know, sometime last year, uh, I, I I had difficulty understanding, but I also came from React, so I just wrote JSX, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> <Just. laughs> okay. well, we can we can still work on improving it. Yes. Okay, and then how you know we, we talked about some libraries that you maintain. Like, how do you come up with ideas for plugins or libraries? Like, uh, there are probably a lot of other people who have found patterns in their applications that they really like. How do you know when it's time to turn that into a library? Or like, wh- wh- where do you start if you decide like, hey, I want to turn this into a library, but like, I'm not even sure how that works. Like, how do you put that together? Mm. So there are many so different things. Uh, there are 
it depends. Uh, so it depends from where the inspiration comes from. For example, um, sometimes the inspiration comes from issues. I think most of the time it comes from issues, like people trying to do things and they don't know about some features of you that other that I know, for example. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is possible in userland. We are going to to do this feature, for example. So- once you've, once you've had to tell people a few times, like, it's possible in userland, it's possible in userland, it's possible. Like, yeah, maybe I should create a few. It's like, yeah, maybe I mean, nobody like, creates I, it. I can also create it in userland. Maybe I will. And yeah. you, you do a service for the community. And it's also because it, it doesn't take me that much time uh, to create the, the plugin most of the time, at least for the first version. So what I, what I try is to make sure I keep the scope as reduced as possible. Um, and this is for a very good reason is to prevent me to uh, have to maintain them. Uh, this means that uh, people will not fire feature requests because there is nothing to request. It covers everything in the scope it should cover, and they will only fire bug bug, um, bug issues. So uh, those are things that I'm, I'm going to fix. Okay, so if you very narrowly define the scope, then you don't you don't really have to maintain it very much. That that's the secret. Yeah. So keep it's it's it may sound I don't know how it sounds, but it's it's the reality, and it's actually I think it's actually smart. Um, if I, for example, have to maintain something like mm-hmm. view MDC, uh, that can, the, it's because of the, um, uh, how do you call that? The API surface. Uh, so, oh no, yeah. the application surface it covers. So for example, uh, view router is also quite problematic in that aspect. Uh, and I wasn't realizing uh, until Evan told me. Um, I was like, oh, there are so many issues. People are not getting the things in the dock. Uh, there are so many problems. I was like, oh, there's so many things wrong. I have to improve. Um, look at views. It doesn't happen. Uh, there is so many, so little issues in view open, in Vux mm-hmm. opened. Um, and, and it's true. Vux has a much more reduced, um, scope to handle. It's just the state yeah. management. So it does it in a way. That's the way it is. There is things you can improve, but, there is not that much in the router. You're still covering a lot of the things, and it it interacts with many so parts there are, of the there are a lot of things like related to routing that people yeah. want to add in. Yeah, and there are things we don't want to do. There are things that we could do, but we are not sure if it's useful enough, mm-hmm. or because it can add the to the complexity of the project, to the size of the bundle, and there are also bugs and a lot of browser-related bugs that you can imagine. So, um, so what you're <laughs> telling people is don't maintain a router. <laughs> But I think other people don't be uh, like me. Like probably Ryan Florence uh, would be a more appropriate person to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> no, I enjoy well, it's a lot, do of a lot of work on your router, right? Uh, as much as I can, yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah, well, not as much as Evan did. Uh, far from that. But. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you found? But besides, you know, like figuring out like what features to keep in and what features to keep out. And, you know, I'm maintaining a project like ViewRouter that like many, many, many people use and rely on, but all of ourselves included. <laughs> um, do you, do your features always get in? Do you come up with an idea and you're just like, oh, I, I have control. I'll just, I'll just add this. And I think I, I don't come up with a lot of ideas. Uh, I mean, with new features, um, I come up with ideas, but maybe not features. I came up with very little features idea that I think I may have implemented. Um, the most difficult part is setting the line on the, on the, this should be handled in the router. This is easy enough to be handled outside. And sometimes it's very tempting for me. Yeah, do you have any, do you have any rules or steps that you follow to figure out, like, is this something that we should include in the router or is this something we leave out? Like, how do you decide? I try to apply the same criteria as view. I try because I, I'm obviously not 
Evan, so I cannot be in his mind to think how things are. Uh, I most of the time I do not refuse uh, feature request if I think that other people may find it interesting. So I just lab mm. label them as feature requests and wait mm. to see what happens. It doesn't mean I am going to implement them uh, in the future, uh, but it means that you know, I want to other hear people other people chime in yeah. and you know with their use cases and, and things like that. Yeah. So, so you so, leave it open for a discussion and you like exactly. let people in the community and also other like core members like mm-hmm. uh, talk about you know what they find useful and you know what their thoughts are. Yeah. And okay. the way I put the line is so there are many things. I have red flags, of course. Uh, if something is an anti-pattern, I will come, I will refuse it. For example, adding state to the to the route that is not visible in the URL. This is a red flag. This is a no-go. This is part mm. of the way we want the router to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some principles that you've defined for the router. My principles, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, and you, you've decided like you know these are these are guiding principles, and yeah. if it goes against those, we won't include it. Yeah, I, I try to base that on what Evan let out, and, <laughs> or things that Evan said. Uh, so I, I I keep things as as um, true as possible. And it's also the way I think anyways. I mean, it's not as if I, I was doing it against my, my will um, or my way of thinking. Yeah. But it's to also... To make it clear to everybody, Evan is not forcing you to do his bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's not. Um, uh, it's, and there is also when you can do things on userland uh, very easily and introducing a feature is just uh, a new way of doing things. Mm. And in the router, there are already many ways of doing the same thing in some in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, they lead to different kind of architectures, so they help most of them. But I want to prevent adding new ways of doing the same thing over and yeah. over, uh, well, and that could make it even harder for newcomers to use the router. What was the last feature that you added to your router that where you had to make a decision like this? Uh, you know, and, and, and discuss it with, with people and, you know, figure out how you're going to implement it. And then it did actually get implemented. I don't remember right now uh, because I, love mo- I don't want to add new big features to your router. So I always ask Ivan about that. Well, what's, what's one that you, uh, that you remember? So that I coded or that I, because I also that like doesn't to... have to be something that you coded, okay. but you're, you're part of like moderating, you know, so, the discussions and things like that. So. So there was a functional component thing, uh, the functional router link component. So right now, the router link is a, a normal component. Mm-hmm. And it has some trouble um, keeping up to date <laughs> with the URL changes, I would say. Um, so there are many bugs around that. Um, and we talk about, hey, the router link could be a functional component. There is no state at all. It's only props and function calls. And it just renders a link. It's very, very simple. And uh, we were like, so Alanson, which is also the other maintainer of your router, um, was, yeah, we should maybe do a functional component. But at the end, because we are working uh, on, so I'm, I'm trying, you're trying to make your life out because, of course, uh, this is always on, on my free time. And you know that as well because you also do it. Yeah. Um, so you don't find the time to do it because some tasks do require some hours of thinking and testing yeah. things to make sure you're not breaking anything. And experimentation, so some, yeah. Experimentation, yeah. So at some point, some person created a pull request uh, for that. Um, and it did take me a lot of time to actually merge it. I mean, it's not even merged yet. It's supposed to be merged this week. Um, but because I want the confirmation from Evan, I want him to review it just in case. Yeah. Um, but I did all the testing. I added uh, more tests or 
I, I checked all the issues and see, oh, this is fixed. This is not fixed uh, by the, the functional versioning. So this is one of the major features I think I, I've helped I help the community to, to go with because I'm not the one to create the functional component. Now, to be fair, the functional component is, the, the code itself is not hard at all to do uh, as long as you know um, just a, a little bit mm-hmm. because it's, it's very easy to translate to an actual functional component. But the implications behind that are huge. <laughs> you don't want to break other people's application um, by just transforming your routing component. Okay. What would you say your uh, favorite part? Switching tracks a little bit, but still staying on View Router, like in, in or View Router and other like libraries that you maintain. You know, as an open source maintainer, what's your favorite part about that work? Like you do it in your free time. Mm-hmm. Are you just you know, is there something wrong with you or, <laughs> or is there something that you get out of it? It's the excitement you get at the beginning when you have this idea that you come up with and being able to bring it to life. To me, programming is always, is all about bringing life to things. It's, it's kind of playing, playing God, uh, to be honest, and without willing to be disrespectful to other people, but it's the way I, I see it. And I, I think it's something very fulfilling to a human being uh, yeah. to create things. Uh, and programming makes it extremely easy for people to create things because it's not as art where you need a lot of material to create things in any aspect of art, except yeah. music nowadays. We can create music with a computer. Um, but for example, in, in science as well, you need a lot of material and of funding to, to do things. You need a laboratory. In programming, you just need a computer and, and you're done. You don't need anything else. So there's Internet very, very little resources and you can create like a little universe and define the rules. Exactly. Of and it's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And then you can uh, delete it because yeah, you are, yeah, yeah. you are a vengeful <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Eduardo I, giveth and Eduardo taketh away. <laughs> exactly. If I don't want, I don't want it, I delete it. And there is also, of course, the, um, um, knowing that you're helping people out and when people um, are, are grateful to you. So it's also great when the people are grateful to you because you feel that you're helping not only yourself, but you're also helping something else, someone, someone else. And this is yeah. also a good feeling um, to have. It's like, um, yeah, sorry? No, it's, it's like the realization of your, uh, your handle. Yeah. Where's <laughs> Vasir What? Why? Why? <laughs> Never mind, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, and sometimes you may get some donations, but... Yeah have happened to me um, four or five times, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, only for uh, Viewfire, so Firebase plus yeah. view work. Yeah, you, you obviously provide a lot of value to a lot of people. Yeah, it's a, a shame it's hard to get paid for that stuff. Like yeah, that, that, that's, as you. That's hard to <laughs> I agree, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, uh, people who haven't heard should uh, donate to Chris's Patreon account. That's not where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd give a plug for it because I forgot to do it last week. Uh, well, that's very kind of you. You're welcome. Okay, so moving on. Oh, I had one more uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, go ahead. Eduardo, you were mentioning like, because I, I agree with you completely that working on open source is extremely satisfying and wonderful because you're creating things. How do you make the ba- strike the balance between, because in addition, op- open source is not just about creating code. It's also about maintaining community, which you, you alluded to because you're also like doing feature requests and going through the issues in view router to make sure that questions are answered and so on. How do you strike the balance between, you know, like 
the satisfaction element, like the things that you actually enjoy doing and the things that you don't. Because mm-hmm. that thing, because sometimes when that piles up, you start not enjoying open source anymore. <laughs> so, is that what do you do in that situation? Mm. So, uh, mm, I, so if I if I get it right, um, it's true that in open source. But the same way you get a lot of nice people, uh, you get a lot of jerks um, that are not there to help you. Um, because you get, get, a lot, get a lot of jerks, uh, sometimes when you read issues, so I also do a lot of triaging in, in Vue, um, not only Vue Router, but also Vue. Uh, I try to triage the best I can, so refuse uh, feature requests as well when they are not worth implementing for you or they should not be in right. view because they do not follow the principles. Yeah, not, not in line with the, the core principles, yeah, the values. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with bug fixes as well. Um, and it's hard to know sometimes if people are, are really trying to be helpful or they are just there to get their problem solved. And so I, after some time, of course, it's, it's harder at the beginning, but after some time, I, I don't care anymore about what people may say. So if I'm, I, I'm very cold in the issues and if, except when I recognize the people, because I see some people from time to time, I know they are helpful. So I recognize the avatar mm-hmm. and I take more time to read the, their issues because if they are reporting something, they have been there for a long time. So I know they are, there is something, mm-hmm. but where people um, have never reported an issue, which, by the way, it's easy to recognize with an extension of Chrome, where you can see if people have opened other issues in that repository. So I, I see things, um, I check the code, but if there is not enough information, um, of course, if the issue is not boiled down, uh, I, won't, I won't bother more than maybe five, not even five, two minutes to read the code. If I cannot find the thing to help them, I would just point them to the forums or the Discord chat where there is a lot of people and tell them that the issues are not for questions. And that's how I... And, and I, the way I do is have a notification tab on, on GitHub and I reload it from time to time and I see everything. And I, I keep my notifications empty, actually. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, I also think that like I noticed that in a lot of your plugins and libraries... And it's the same for the, a lot of the Vue uh, core libraries as well. There is like the template that you add for when you have an issue or when you have a pull request, which makes it really useful as someone who is like, oh, I want to file an issue or a pull request. It gives you like a template, hmm. which I think like is good because it, it's like helping yourself in some sense because then it makes someone, it forces someone to ask or ask whether or not it's, a, it's worth putting in issues or putting in a forum or something like that. So. Yeah. To read, uh, it, it makes the people read. So it, it prevents you from saying something that you have been saying all the time. And there is something I forgot, but uh, one year ago, I think we, I don't know if it's one year or less, we added the, a bot that was closing is- issues that were not respecting the guidelines. And this was a lifesaver. Uh, I, was, I was tired at, of, of answering, of just having this quick reply, please read the contribution guidelines before okay. passing an issue and closing the issue without reading. Uh, if the, the issue was, if there was no link to a repro uh, with clear steps, I would just not even read the, the thing. I would like, but you, at the same time, you feel, you feel guilty. So you still read a bit yeah. and you, you waste time. Mm-hmm. Um, and not having to deal with that anymore is, is great. And I, and I see it because I see people, when people open an issue that get closed right away uh, and they reopen a new one, 
you can see if they put the time to provide a repro of it or if they didn't. You see it right away because okay. if the repro is boiled down, it means they put they put the time to do it. If it's yeah. not, if it's a whole project, and you see, come on, you can do better than that. And then there's people who just go away and they did, just didn't realize. So they didn't even read the, the template. They just saw a bunch of text and said, oh, whatever, let's remove that, create the issue. And then there is a bot closing the issue with yeah. a link. And then they don't open a new issue. So it, mm-hmm. that's where you see it really works. Mm-hmm. So when you have a really big project that gets as big as Vue, sometimes having a bot and sometimes having some other, some other tools around that, <laughs> like to help people create issues can be useful. Definitely it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, well, talking about this, we could talk about community, the, the project that Sebastian Atinix, the creator of Next. Yeah, that's a good uh, idea. With more people, he's, um, so he's not alone. He's with other friends uh, creating that project. And I think so it's a what good, is it? Um, so I don't want to, to misinterpret it, but to me, it's a platform where you, that, that is connected to GitHub and that allows to bring or to give visibility to the people that is helping to the project, so to the community. The, the people that are, that are helping the community of a project to make that project what it is. Because when you think about it, uh, a project like Vue or anything it is, is nothing without the community. It's nothing with the people that are answering questions out there, uh, are reporting bugs, are requesting new features that are interesting. And uh, the problem is people ask questions in GitHub issues and they get bloated away very quickly if people do that way. So what um, community does is synchronize with GitHub. So questions are closed on GitHub and are only on the community website, but requests and bug fixes are synchronized. So everything you comment on community or GitHub will appear in both sides. Mm. And people get some kind of reputation. So there is a uh, points that you get for doing com- contributing to the project with commits, pull requests, uh, comments, the upvotes reactions to your comments, uh, questions, and you can mark questions as resolved the same way as Stack Overflow. And this reputation brings you more visibility in the community so people can uh, see that you're helping the community and the project. Cool. Yeah, so where can people learn more about that? Uh, the address is uh, cmty.io, so like community without any vowels. <laughs> and 1M. And, and only 1M. Yeah, one, only yeah. 1M. CMTY.io. Got it. Okay, we'll, we'll include them in the show notes too. And yeah, they have links in the website. Uh, so they use it for, for the project itself, for community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they use, use community Next. for community? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Eating their own dog food. Yeah. And they use it for Next, of course. Yeah. Because they, they have a lot of questions there. Mo- moving on a little bit. One other thing that we were going to talk about uh, that is related to like building and maintaining libraries is uh, like Rollit and Rollup, which uh-huh. are some tools that you use sometimes to uh, create libraries. And I don't, I don't know if we want to go into too much detail because we've been talking for a while now and we don't want the, the podcast to become too long. <laughs> but if people want examples of how to set up like a library project, would mm-hmm. you say that it's, it's fair that they can, they can look at some of your examples, like how you set things up? And that, yeah. that is a pretty good... Uh, example of like how to how to build a nice view library. Yeah, so any of the recent libraries uh, I'm building, uh, only the recent I, ones, huh? The, 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 at what <laughs> point do you have regrets? <laughs> no, I don't have regrets. But um, so, for example, I have a, a boilerplate uh, mm-hmm. for for plugins. 
that is using the old version of the CLI. So when you had templates, mm-hmm. I mean, the old version is still the current one, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so that one is, it fits most people uh, needs and it actually use Rollup to bundle your library. So you have a smaller bundle, bundle and you have, um, it's faster as well to bundle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because Webpack is, is really nice for applications, um, well, it's getting nicer and nicer with every version of it, uh, to be honest. Uh, I haven't tested recently uh, with libraries to see the dif- what is the difference. But with Rollup, you you get a very small uh, package. And because I how, found myself... How does that happen? Like you're writing the same code. Because Webpack adds its um, its header, its own um, overhead on top of, mm-hmm. the, of the code. It's very small, but... Um, but for a, a small library, then it like... For a small library, it's proportionally it larger, yeah. It, yeah, it can make a lot. And Rollup doesn't add anything. Doesn't mm. just Does it have any other optimizations or? Mm, I think not anymore. Uh, in the past, there were some other optimizations like three shaking and hosting, but hosting, now, but now but Webpack also has too, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing is, because I found myself writing that configuration, the very same configuration every time, mm. I wrote a small CLI that uh, works out of the box with no configuration. Uh, so it's called Rollit. It has very small. Uh, um, project that I built is on GitHub as well. Yeah. So and is that github.com slash posva slash roll it? Yeah, that's it. And you can actually install it and use it for your libraries. And by default, it takes src slash index.js as the entry point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it releases four bundles in the dist folder. One for ESM, so um, uh, yeah, six uh, modules. Nice. One for CommonJS, one for UMD. Uh, so that's universal model that works in the browser and one for, um, so the same version as UMD, but minified, which is the version that I use to check the Jesuit size. Mm-hmm. And it does everything uh, in parallel. So it's quite fast. Um, I actually, it works, for example, with, I also handle uh, adding roll-up plugins on the fly, like um, flow, flow, for example. So I can use it with no, in just very simple command for router. I have used it for, I have tested it with Vue, with Phaser, actually. It worked with Phaser. It's mainly focused for small, uh, small component libraries because it makes, it's just one command that you run and yeah. you have all the four bundles. It completes your packages.json. So you have the, the bundles in the main field, the browser, the module. Um, so it's very convenient. Yeah. One other thing I think worth checking out is also Vue CLI 3, which is still in beta right now. Yeah. Uh, it has a concept of targets and there's a library target, which yeah. is what you'd want to use for like building these, these shared libraries that, you know, you might, you know, use between projects or share with the entire world. Mm. Which I still haven't checked by the way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you can also like check out all of Posva's repositories to see, you know, how he's using it again. You know, look at the recent ones, the old ones, you know, let's not talk about those. <laughs> Great. I also wanted to talk to you about, uh, yeah, you do like consulting work and you do some like workshops and speaking and stuff like that. Do you have anything coming up? People actually, can yeah, actually, yes. I'm the next workshop I'm giving is in Barcelona. So it will be in summer. So a very good time to be around in Barcelona, <laughs> uh, which is the, um, in case some people doesn't know it's, it's in Spain um, and it's near the beach. So it's, it's a really good, it's really cool in summer. You, you go to the beach. Uh, the, it's a very touristic place, so it's, it's really great. And there is a conference called Angular Camp, which is not about Angular, it's about JavaScript. And it's the 18th of July. 
and that's the day I'm giving a workshop. There are other workshops, um, and there are great speakers already announced. Um, I know Sean Larkin will be there from Webpack, uh, but other people from also the TC39 committee. Um, so it looks, it looks like a really interesting conference, actually. Um, cool. Where can people sign up for your workshop? Uh, the website is angularcamp.tech. But if they just search for Angular Camp on Google, they will find it. And yeah, there are tickets for the conference and the conference pass plus the workshops. Cool. You can view the workshops there, yeah. Should be in the page. Just checking just in case. Yeah, there am I. And what about speaking? Are you speaking anywhere recently or in the near future? Yeah, we're actually giving the, um, the Vue.js road trip. Uh, you're coming as well, right? Not to Paris. I know that one, but... I don't know which one. I always forget which one is first. If, I think it's, no, it's Barcelona first, then Berlin, and then Paris. Uh, so I think my next conference is, uh, is the VGS road trip in Barcelona. But I'm I also think, going... Yeah, I think it might actually be Barcelona and then... Paris and then Paris Berlin. And then yes, Berlin. yes, that's it. That's it. That's but it. I, think, I, I think that they might not be doing Berlin anymore. Oh, then I think it might have been too close to VGS Amsterdam in February. So they, they, they just wanted to consolidate with that. I think so. Okay. What a shame. <laughs> yeah. um, there's something closer. Uh, I'm going to Seattle for Microsoft Influencer Days, which I'm not sure if it's uh, an internal event or half open event, but I will be in Seattle, in Seattle for some days. So maybe hang around in some meetup or something. <laughs> cool. Cool. That's fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we, we start wrapping up? Anywhere else that people can find you? Yes. Sir. And people can find you on, on GitHub at POSVA, P-O-S-V-A. And yeah, are you also POSVA Twitter. on Twitter? Yeah. Okay. And that's it. You're, not on, you're not on well. LiveJournal or anything? Yeah. LiveJournal? No, I'm not. A, I'm on Medium, but I don't write. Uh, I don't write blogs anymore. I don't do streaming or anything, at least not yet. <laughs> not yet. Maybe soon. Maybe soon, but about coding. Not you're doing yet. podcasts. I'm doing podcasts now, yeah. Yes. Well, great. Well, then let's wrap it up with picks. So uh, Divya has done this many times before. Would you like to go first? Sure. I'll go first. For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com ruby Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So my first pick is the ViewConf talks. Uh, not all have been released. I think I, I believe the first days has been released, but not the second. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but that's pretty good. That's on viewmastery.com, I believe. It's pretty good. Second one is the View Jest library that Ed Yerborough posted, I think that was six days ago or something. The like other that? Ed. The other Ed. The other Ed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. We have two Eds in, uh, in view now. 
Yeah. So th- that has been released, which is really cool because now you can do Jest with Vue, which I haven't played around with personally, but I've, it's been on my docket. So I will probably do that this weekend. And then the last one is a Netflix show that I've been watching. So I've been learning Spanish. <laughs> it's muy mal for now. <laughs> but um, I've been watching a show called La Casa de Papel, which is oh, yeah. really good. I'm watching I, it right now. It's on the TV. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely <laughs> While we're recording. Exactly. Yeah. You want to see it? Look at that. Are is you there... on the, is it the Oh, this is going to be record? fantastic for an audio medium. Yeah, I know. But it's uh, so funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good thing because we might, we might get like in trouble with copyright or something if we, if we showed we it. Showed we showed the video, it. yeah. Um, but yeah, that one is really... I'm on season two and it's like... I think the last... I'm on the last episode and it's really, really good. And it's also good because you can like learn. I'm using it as an excuse to learn Spanish, like to practice. <laughs> Great. Well, what are your picks? Okay, so just to be clear, um, it can be anything, right? Does it have to be view? Nope, it does not have to be view. It can even be a Netflix show like La Casa de Papel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to rethink the things because I, I thought it was things about me, not things uh, that I pick. Oh, it can be about you too. Yeah, it can be about you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So recently uh, I, I got again into typing uh, because I really like uh, mechanical keyboards, like a lot of lovers um, typing. Um, and I, I managed to, for the first time, to go uh, be above 100 uh, words per minute, which is a really nice, to, to me, is a really nice um, speed. I was really happy and I'm doing a more type racing, as we call it, uh, in the in play.typeracing. Uh, so I'm really happy with it. Um, I don't know if that counts as a peak. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does. Um, it can really be anything. So I really love love how how well the view the view in general is is going, and how things I was doing before um, in my free time for free uh, are now that I, I was just doing because I, I liked are making my life better now um, and how I can get uh, jobs offers, very, very interesting job offers in things I love uh, and that I can combine both of the, the, the real job that you get paid with, for uh, with the open source. It's, it's, it's like a dream come true. It's still not the, 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 the dream like Evan that works full time, but uh, I think that going part-time is already, is already great. Um, and it's something that I'm, I'm starting to do right now. Um, more or less, I can, I can do it. I still have to find some time to get the, talk, the talks. But I really encourage you to anybody that wants to do more open source, uh, that really wants to build their projects, to do some freelancing. Uh, that I could help them to see if they like it, um, and give them more time to build what they love. Yeah, it's also like, for me, I find that it gives me like a wide range of experience that yeah. I wouldn't have just working at one company or if I was just working like on solo projects by myself. Absolutely. You learn, so, you learn more. I mean, you learn, you learn a more variety of things. Okay. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a much worse developer if I didn't consult. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Uh, no, I, I started playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Oh, on N64? No, on 3DS. <laughs> but it's really cool. Was that for the uh, first time? Yeah, the first time I played that, le- that Legend of Zelda, 
yeah and it's pretty nice actually um i played some hours already like four hours probably and i i wasn't i wasn't expecting it to be that that good because when i always try to play the old version um in emulator because you you don't always have the the console the, you, don't, you don't have the console anymore or things like that so it's not possible to to play on the tv or anything and you also get all the benefits like save states and, and stuff which you don't you don't get you know like more modern consoles uh emulators but there is a problem with the <laughs> the main problem is the n64 controller which is um, unique <laughs> so unless you have one uh playing on emulator uh a game that is specifically designed for the n64 yeah, uh, it's not that great. And the Legend of Zelda, I think, was one of them, uh, where you have to use the C, the C um, uh, stick, I think it's called. Or it's just C buttons. Oh, the C buttons. Um, well, you have things that are not in other controllers. So, for example, I use um, Xbox th- uh, 360 controller, which is, in my opinion, the best controller that ever existed. I use it for anything, for any game. And because the Nintendo 3DS has similar mapping uh, in terms of buttons, it makes it very easy to enjoy and to play the game normally without being used to a completely different controller. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Does it qualify as a, as a pick? Yeah, I think it's two picks. The Xbox 360 controller <laughs> and Legend of Zelda. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll do my picks. I, I'm going to do all games this time. It's going to be uh, story-driven games. And the first one is... Uh, this isn't actually something that I've been... Uh, no, I actually have been playing it sometimes recently. But The Witcher 3, mm. which uh, it comes with a warning because it will ruin all other RPGs for you afterwards. So maybe maybe play this one last on your list of RPGs that you want to play. <laughs> Otherwise, you might be disappointed with everything else. I'm really looking forward to CD Projekt's Red, uh, CD, CD Red's new game, uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which I think is coming out the end of this year. Hopefully, we'll see. So that's that's one. But there are a lot of other story-driven games that I enjoy that don't that aren't RPGs where you're like playing a character and then you're like going around fighting monsters and stuff like that. <laughs> and one of them that I, I played quite a while ago is Gone Home, which is what I would describe as a walk-em-up. <laughs> so you're just walking around this environment and you know you can interact with things on a very simple level. But the environment is the story. Like, and as you, as you go around, you're exploring this person's life. Uh, and I won't give any more details than that because it really is something special. I think it's like, uh, you know, three hours or four hours experience. So something that you can definitely digest in one evening. And it's, it's just wonderful, magical. Uh, I would also say uh, Brothers is another game like that. Uh, it's not a walk em up, but it's a very unique game in the sense that the, the con- it's the only game that I know where the controls are like a part of the story of the game. So you use the basically your left hand to control one brother and then your right hand to control the other brother. And these two brothers have to work together to like, you know, solve different puzzles and you know, navigate the environment and things like that. And the way that that works in the game is just uh, lovely, beautiful. I strongly, strongly recommend that, especially if you have uh, a sibling, like it's even more meaningful, like your like family that you care about. Like, I think it's even more meaningful that way. If you are, uh, if you're an only child, then you will benefit from it. It, it, it may not pierce your, your icy heart. 
<laughs> and then one other game that I want to talk about that is also in the welcome up category, but it's sort of experimental is it's, it, yeah, it's just a trip. It's called the Stanley parable uh-huh. where it, you are playing this office worker who like looks around and finds that like everyone is gone in the office. And he just like, you know, gets up and tries to see like, what's going on? <laughs> but that is not the game. Like, I, that is all I can tell you, but that is not the game. You, like, it's a trip from there. It's, it's just an experience you have to have. So go and play that. I think it's, a lot of these games are relatively cheap, except for The Witcher, yeah. which is also like, I, uh, The Witcher, I think is, I, I might have like 500 hours logged on it so you know I, I think it's relatively cheap in the sense that you are getting a lot of entertainment for your money and it, there's so much like rich story uh, to go along with that it's it's so fantastic uh, I, I can't recommend it enough so those four games and those are all my picks all right so thank you everyone for joining us on views on view and we hope to see you next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.